continue our study in Matthew 5. Jesus, as he's beginning this Sermon on the Mount, has given the Beatitudes, those are the attitudes of those that are in the kingdom that belong to him. And Dr. Bookman says it's as if he points across the crowd at the little gathering of the Pharisees that were there to criticize and says, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And then he takes the last part of chapter 5 to explain what greater righteousness is. What does he mean? If you ask an Orthodox Jew today, what does the Bible mean here? Oh, we, don't, we can't tell. That's what the, that's what the uh, um, rabbis are for. They figured that all out. And their training is about arguing. They're basically attorneys. And that's why Jesus says, you've heard that it's been said. There's you taught this and been retaught what Scripture actually says. Let me tell you what God intended when he talked about righteousness. Now, last week we looked at hatred and murder. Secondly, today, verses 25 and 26, we're going to look at those little things that happen because of life, debt, legal problems, just those little things that just happen to you. You back out of your driveway and damage your neighbor's fence or his car. Uh, you get a speeding ticket. Um, you, so just those little things that happen in life, you go, oh, that's going to cost me. The thing that also starts, even though you know it's your fault, is how can I justify myself? That's just part of the flesh. And so Jesus says, when those things happen to you, just pay what you owe. Yeah, but I have these things planned. It's like, you belong to the king. You don't have to worry about where the money's going to come from for the other thing that he's called you to do. And the biggest thing we have is being right. That's what the flesh is all about, being right. That's why you have arguments with your, with your spouse, with your children. I am right, and I will prove that you're right. And you make a list of all the things that they've ever done, and you bring that to bear, and you get a bunch of people to agree with you so you can be right. Jesus says that's wrong. What he says, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid the last cent. What Jesus was talking about is you had the ability to work out a deal with your neighbor when you'd done some injury or something had happened before you get to court. Once you get to court, now it's in the court hands. Now, we all think we know what the law says and what court's like. We all have that balance of fairness. And you know what? The law doesn't always work the way you think it should. Down in Colorado, was on TV a couple years ago. A couple had purchased a lot up in the mountains, and eventually their plan was to build a retirement home on it. But their neighbor of that lot just started using it. And nobody said anything about it. They thought they were being nice labor, neighbors by letting them stay there and just use that, put their stuff on it. They went to build, and all of a sudden there was a court problem because the law says if you don't stop somebody, even aggressively, from using your property when they're using it, they can claim it as theirs. So I don't know what happened in the end, but you would think, hold it, no, whoa. I was being a good neighbor. They took advantage of me. Now it's theirs. 
Law is not always what you think it is. I don't know how many men that I've talked to that have gone through a divorce or maybe they've had a child with somebody and all of a sudden there's a division and now as a believer they want to get all righteous about who's going to get the children and they're ready to go to court and I bring them to the, to the scripture in 1 Corinthians 7 and I say the Bible says you're called to peace. Yes, but my child will not be raised in a godly home. Well, God can take care of those things if you do what you're supposed to do. If you come and talk to me about that, I will tell you testimony after testimony of men that have trusted God and God has honored their faith. Totally separate from their influence. See, we want to be right. We think if we're in control and we get the outcome we want, Jesus says, don't worry about that. You have me. Don't argue about these little things. When, when something happens like that, you're called to peace. You owe something, don't argue with the officer. Just pay your ticket. Be polite. Be a citizen that realizes, okay, I got caught. We live in a, in a day and age that we just start with the police are wrong. Don't they have more important things to do? Were you speeding? I live out at a stop sign. I wish every once in a while a policeman would pull up out there because nobody stops at it. Someday there's going to be a wreck. In fact, there's a wreck now on Bluebird a couple times because... Kids are going to school, and they think they're crossing a street that's not that busy, so they just go screaming across Vista Drive, and boom, guess what? People are on that road. There's another road that comes, I think it's Sage or something like that, comes onto our road, and people just look, and they just keep going. And if there's an accident, say, oh, well, you know, the thing is, no, I just, mm." when you get caught, just pay the fine. Don't argue. You don't have to win. Say, God, you saw that, and so, you know, I deserve that. I need to slow down. I need to be more careful. I need to watch when I'm backing out of the driveway so I'm not denting the, uh, the neighbor's garbage can. You say, but, but they've done so many things to me. Doesn't matter. You got caught this time, didn't you? And remember this. God is sovereign. Maybe you've gotten away at that stop sign time after time and you were in a hurry that day and you look carefully, but there's the policeman. And your first thought is, there's criminals here. There's ought to be something more important to do. Why isn't he buying donuts? Right? No. Just say, I am sorry, I broke the law. Many Christians go to court and all they're thinking about is, I don't want the penalty. If you're guilty... And I'm not saying don't listen to your attorney. There's ways, courts courts don't work the way we think they should. That's why you have attorneys. But trust God for the faithful keeping of your soul. You don't have to win all the time. That's the biggest problem, especially for guys. I'm going to win this argument. And you up hurting the name of Christ in the meantime. Just submit. You don't have to win. The basic teaching is plain and unmistakable. We are to make every effort with no delay to make our relationship right with our brother before our relationship, relationship can be right with God. Well, that guy's not even a Christian. Doesn't matter. You messed up, you pay. Next, in this passage, he goes to immorality and divorce. Now, the, fad, the, 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 the lawyers here, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, 
they study the law. And the law says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. John MacArthur says, the sixth commandment protects the sanctity of life. Thou shalt not murder. And the seventh, the sanctity of marriage. Those who rely on external righteousness break both of those commands. If you think it's just what you get caught doing physically, you're wrong. You're wrong. He goes on to say, it's not lustful looking that causes the sin in the heart, but the sin in the heart that causes lustful looking. Think about that. That was in there. Mm -hmm. It was in there. One of the things Paul talks about, uh, some of those wicked pastors, it says, their eyes are full of adultery. Their eyes. That's why Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes Therefore, why should I consider a maid? 1 Corinthians 6. Paul deals with this because people like to say, oh, it's just, you know, sex is just biology, so it's just a function, like eating. The body is more than biological, as divine judgment will reveal. For a Christian, for a Christian that's a member of Christ, his body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and belongs to the Lord rather than to themselves. It's therefore never to be used for any purpose that dishonors God who made and indwells it. Christians should have but one response to sexual temptation, and that is to flee. Flee. Now, Arthur Pink, I want you to listen. This was powerful, and this was written back in 1974, so not last week. If lustful looking is so grievous a sin, right? then those who dress and expose themselves with the desire to be looked at and lusted after are not less, but perhaps more guilty. It is not only too often the case that men sin, but women tempt them to do so. How great then must be the guilt of the great majority of modern misses who deliberately seek to arouse the sexual passions of young men. And how much greater still is the guilt of some of those mothers for allowing them to become lascivious temptresses. Ooh, that's tough. And some, most of our church in America today is just ignorant because preachers don't want to go there. And older women in the church don't want to go there. So girls just think, well, this looks cute on me. So I'm going to wear it. That doesn't excuse men. For their lust, but it doesn't excuse young women either. The Bible says, and Paul wrote, wrote, why would you go, go forward and defraud your brother that way? Give an opportunity to stumble. Now, this is so serious. Jesus goes on and he says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. Throw it from you. If you're, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. The right eye represents one's best vision and the right hand one's best skills. Jesus' point is that we should be willing to give up whatever is necessary, even the most cherished things we possess, if that will protect us from evil. Now, he's not advocating 
you know, tearing your body up. He's not advocating mutilation. That won't cleanse the heart. The message of this statement is clearly that sin must be dealt with radically. Paul said, I buffet my body and make it my slave. You, you just don't let your passions rule. We live in a day and a people talk, talk about, I just, it's my passion to do this. Well, the Bible never uses passion as a positive characteristic. It's part of what we do. But it should not be leading the charge in our decisions. Jesus again sets forth the impossible standards of his kingdom, righteousness. All people are murderers and adulterers. Because you don't have to do the act. All you have to do is lust. All you have to do is hate. The Lord's remedy for a wicked heart is a new heart. And his answer for our helplessness is his sufficiency. See, they, they said, oh, look, as long as you don't touch. And Jesus said, no, God's looking at your heart. And it doesn't come from the action. The action comes from here. All those wicked things proceed out of our heart. Next, he talks about divorce. Now, they lived in a day and age where divorce for any reason. Now, the, there's basically four different views you can have of this. Divorce and remarriage doesn't matter. That's the culture we live in. Oh, well, it didn't work out, so just get another one. And that was the way the legalists looked in Jesus' day. As long as you had the paperwork right, get the, the paperwork down, and then divorce her. They interpreted, if you find an uncleanness in the Old Testament, well, they decided, let's, let's look at that part. We can work that part there in cleanness. Well, she burned the bagels this morning, so obviously, you know, we need to get rid of her. And these laws were mostly to protect the women. They're the ones that suffered the most in this culture. So Jesus said, you've heard, it was said, whoever sends his wife away, make sure you get the paperwork right. Give them a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Pretty serious. Now, Paul goes on to give some other information in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, now, he says it like this. Now, I say, not the Lord. He's not saying this isn't from the Holy Spirit. just saying the Lord hasn't taught this, but let me give you some more information. Some people look at divorce and remarriage, and they say there's, there's never divorce, and there can never be remarriage. Okay, that's one, that's one extreme. The other extreme is any divorce, any remarriage. doesn't matter. You don't have to look at it. Somewhere in between there is the truth, and the Bible lands in one place. Some would say, well, there's divorce, but there's never possibility of remarriage. The Bible doesn't teach that. Even the Old Testament said if a woman was abandoned, she could be remarried. But if the first husband decided after the second husband she was married to died or got rid of her, you know, really, she wasn't that bad. I think, no, you're not doing that. That's, a, that's an abomination. You don't do that. It's uncleanness. God looked at Israel. Israel thought the problem was Rome. And God said, no, the problem is not Rome. The problem is your own wicked heart. When we consider our own nation, 
We said, well, if we had better politicians, if we had better health care, if we had better uh, economic policies and we have more freedom, then we'd have a better nation. No, the problem with our nation is not the laws and the politicians. Yes, they're wicked, many of them. It's our own heart. And God challenged the people in the Old Testament of Israel, if you who are called by my name will humble yourself. How many good kings did Israel have? <laughs> not many. I mean, even David, a man after God's own heart. I mean, we wouldn't want him for our politician. The things that he did. And yet he repented. But how many kings came and they were godly, but they just didn't quite get all the job done because they didn't want to really mess with people's idols. They just didn't quite get there. We sing a song. Tear every idol from that throne that I might worship only you. We live in a culture of promiscuity and wickedness. This week I was talking to some of the pastors from just having fellowship, and it always amazes me that you go to a town like Dallas that has so many mega churches. And we have mega churches across the United States. I say 80% of, of America is Christian. Then why are we so wicked? Well, it's our politicians. Who puts them there? Who votes for them? If 80% of us are believers, who's putting those wicked politicians there that demand we continue to murder babies and demand that we say everything is righteous? The nation does. Jesus goes right past the external and goes to the heart. You see, marriage... The family was the first institution that God established before he established a tabernacle or a temple or a church. He established the home. And that's the one thing that's under assault today, the home. Some of our culture says the home is the thing that's kept women enslaved. I'll say a godly home is where a woman finds her opportunity to be all that God intended her to be in a Christian home. Not just because it's a home. And they just said, well, you can just get divorced for any reason. Jesus said, no, not for any reason, but for, case, for cases of those that just will not be faithful. They just won't be faithful. But even then, Jesus is not endorsing divorce. God gave divorce because of the hardness of the hearts of Israel not to carry out the law and stone people that were immoral. So that's kind of harsh. They wouldn't do it. So God, out in his grace to protect mostly women, grants divorce. So there can be... The opportunity, even the Old Testament, there was opportunity for remarriage. Jesus does not advocate divorces, much less demand it. He simply says that divorce and remarriage on any other ground leads to adultery. See, my thought was, I was talking to Pastor Howe about this, hold it now. If you have a woman who's being cheated on and the husband leaves then how does that cause her to commit adultery? It doesn't. She's free. But I think he's talking to a culture that it didn't mean anything to either one of them. 
Say, well, you know, just not getting along, so let's just get another one. That's adultery. That's adultery. And so many believers have gone through this, and they say, well, it's in the past. Don't worry about it. Maybe before you were married, you know, you were involved in fornication. Well, everybody does it. Well, you know, it's just what our culture's doing. And you say, well, it was in the past. We're married now. Not a big deal. It is a big deal. Go back and take that hammer out of Satan's hand. You as spouses just go to one another and say, you know what? What what I did before in our relationship before we were married, I just want you to know I know that was sin. And I've confessed that to God and I want to confess that to you. Done. But how many times the pride of her heart, I'm not doing that. Well, just wait till Satan comes along and uses that against you. Take it out of his hand. Deal with it. If you realize, you know what? That was my case. I didn't have a, I didn't have a Jesus case for divorce, but I got divorced and now I'm remarried. What do I do? First John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we allow our life to go on. Guess what? There's this law of what goes around comes around. And you allow that kind of sin just to just go unchecked. It'll infect your family. What's the big deal? Deal with it. Go to a gracious God who says, Come unto me, all that are weak and heavy laden. Are we weak? Amen and amen. There's no one without sin. He goes on to say, the innocent party who has made every effort to maintain the marriage is free to remarry if his or her spouse insists on continued adultery or divorce. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There are different kinds of, different kinds of marriages, though so different kinds of divorces. In the Roman times, maybe you were a slave girl, and so somebody said, okay, you're going to belong to this guy over here. And later that guy dies or, or, or you know, he says, he's tired of you. He moves on, gets him another concubine. And so you're left as a single and you come to Christ. What do you do? You used to be married. There was those that were actually divorced, like we have divorces. Or a wife was given to, uh, by a father to somebody and now she's abandoned. Different kinds of reasons people can be single. What does Paul say? Listen, he said, I think the best thing is if just be like me, be single. Yeah, it's a little harder, but that's probably the best thing. But if you can't, it's better to marry than it is to burn. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But he says, only in the Lord. And this time, make sure you check with wisdom, not only the Lord, but those around you. What do you think about this guy? What do you think about this girl? Slow down. What does God want to do? Then it says, what about two Christians that just can't get along? I mean, it's always like cats every day. Well, first of all, that's sin. The Bible says submit to one another. You know what happened in the fall was that before the fall, there was this wonderful team that Adam headed up, Right? He was the leader. But in the fall, the Bible says 
what's going to happen to Eve and in pain you're going to bring forth children and your desire will be under your husband not to do what he says but to manipulate him and control him and then he got the other side to resist your control right that's sin but Paul says you know if you just can't get along you can get divorced but you can't get remarried to anybody else. So don't think that you can just trade them in on a better model or trade her in on a better model. It's wickedness. And yet, the churches in our, in our, across America just leave it alone. Because you know what? That, people won't come to our church if we hold the standard of what God intended in marriage. Then it says to those that are married, maybe you came to Christ and your spouse didn't. What do you do? Well, some are saying, well... I should divorce my ungodly spouse because if I have my kids, they'll be ungodly. God says, no, no. The influence of the Holy Spirit is more powerful than the influence of the flesh in that home. So your children are holy. And if he's pleased or she is pleased to dwell with you, there's no reason to divorce them. And how do you know that you won't win them to the Lord by your holy behavior? But if life is too different... And you just say, well, he just won't stay married or she refused to be married to me anymore. Then let them go. The Bible says you're not bound. There's no law that says you have to do everything in the world to make them miserable, to make them stay married to you. Let them go. You're called to, you're called to peace. Next, in verses 35 through 37, Jesus talks about telling the truth, which is related to the marriage vow, isn't it? You made a covenant. Invest your life in that other person for the glory of God as much as you can do. But they had this whole game worked out about vows. You know, somebody says, I swear on the grave of my mother. But your mother's not dead. Yeah, but you know. They had this whole thing worked out. It was a giant game. Again, you've heard that ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, even by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, it's the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king, nor shall make any oath by your head. You can't make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. He was hitting them right where they lived. They really had more of a gamemanship of lying. They'd swear by heaven, by the earth, by the temple, by the hairs in their head. They thought that would impress those they wanted to take advantage of. They're making a deal on a new chariot or whatever they were doing. Well, I'll tell you, it's a truth. I loved watching Andy Griffith when I was a kid, right? I remember Barney, he went and got a car from an old lady. And oh, it was just a beautiful car until he got it home. And he was, he just couldn't believe that that old lady had taken such advantage. Really, she was just part of a little crime ring. And there was sawdust in the wheel bearings. There was sawdust in the, in the oil chamber. There was just, just till he got home and the thing fell apart. And of course, you know, Andy saved the day. See, the whole point was to make it look like it was the truth. 
to take advantage of somebody. It's just called being good in business, telling a half-truth. One of the most honest men I've ever known, Orville Earl. Besides taking care of cattle, he raised horses. And I was there when he would sell a horse. And I just thought to myself, do you really want to sell this horse? Because he would be so honest about everything that if there's any question, everything he knew that might ever be thought of wrong with this horse, he made sure he told him. I'm like, you know what that is? That's trusting God. Trusting God. Jesus said, stop with all this games of half-truths so you can better yourself, because that's what it is, taking care of yourself. Just tell the truth and leave the keeping of your soul to a God who is faithful. Tell the truth, yes and no. That's simple, isn't it? But the lawyer said, oh, no, well, it's not that simple. We can tell you all the reasons why. Jesus said, no, yes and no. Then verses 38 through 42, we're making a lot more progress than last week. Retaliation, getting even. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, that sounds fair, doesn't it? What was the intention of the law was that, that God would limit the courts in how much they would take from the person that had done the injury. They limited it eye for an eye, and I'm sure, I don't think they went out and plucked an eye, but they would come to a, a, a money standard of what that was worth, and they'd lay that on. But what the rabbis has done, that each man was permitted in effect to become his own judge, jury, and executioner. God's law was turned into individual license, and civil justice was perverted to personal vengeance. Instead of properly acknowledging the law of an eye of an eye and tooth for a tooth as a limit on punishment, they conveniently used it as a mandate for vengeance. And that's the same way most people look at it today. Well, I was just getting even. Have you ever felt or have you ever heard someone say, I'm so thankful they got even with me? Does that settle all the arguments? I'm so thankful. You know, I messed up, and, and so they went and did the same thing to me. I'm just so thankful for that. No. Vengeance doesn't make things even, and it doesn't cause peace and love. Oh, it gives satisfaction to the last guy that threw the punch. But here comes the other left, and he's not going to be happy when, he, when, the, the, when vengeance lands on him. So what does Jesus say? He says, You've heard that that's been said. But in Romans chapter 12, 17 through 21, Paul says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. To anyone. Respect that which is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Why? Because your vengeance is never going to bring peace. And what God might want to do is save your enemy and cause them to be your brother, which you can't do. So in the Old Testament, he says, when I begin to punish the wicked, don't you rejoice, because I'll, I'll pull back my hand. Don't you say, well, I'm glad they, got, they had theirs coming. No, you just humbly pray to God that God might change their heart. 
But Jesus goes on to say, But I say to you, do not resist. And he, excuse me. He takes time to pick out four basic human rights. And he, he speaks to us because we're all about our rights, aren't we? Dignity, security, liberty, and property. Non-retaliation. First of all, our dignity. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other one to him also. Now, he's not talking about damage. He's not talking about getting smashed inside of the face. He's talking to somebody that is just disrespecting you. And they just slap you like you're a child. And it's just that kind of disrespect. That can happen when people throw certain gestures your way when you're driving. And you can take that in and be angry all day. And maybe you go into traffic rage with all of a sudden you're just going to slow down, slow all the traffic down. Well, you'll show that guy. Or you begin to tell God what an idiot that person is. We talked about that last week. And you get home all upset because somebody disrespected you. And I deserve my respect. Why? When you could just let it go. Jesus says, listen, when they disrespect you, just be humble. Don't let it ruin your day. You need to remember something. You're a child of the king. You're going to rule and reign with Christ one day. That person's disrespect has nothing to do with your well-being and your eternity. Maybe you're right to be respected. Just give it up. In Proverbs 19, 11, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Do you like that? How do you know if you're growing as a Christian when you have strength to just overlook a transgression? Secondly is security. If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, let him have your coat also. It's a legal matter and you've lost. Don't be angry about that. Have that attitude. Yeah, hey, listen, here, take this too. Why? Because you're the child of the king. There's more where that came from. God is looking at your heart, not looking at your bank account to see how well you're doing. Be humble. Your liberty. Now, in those days, a Roman soldier could come along and force you to carry his pack, his sword, whatever he had, for a mile. It wasn't quite a mile that we measure today. But Jesus said, and you know, how does that grate you? That the weapons that he uses to keep you in subservience, you've got to carry. Jesus says, carry two. How do you know that your demonstration may make that soldier think? Many Roman soldiers came to know Jesus Christ because of the love of Christians. You know that no Christians died when Rome took over and destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70 because they listened to Jesus and they got out of town. Don't resist. You don't have to resist. Carry the pack two miles. Property. 
Give to him who asks and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from him. The implication is that the person who asks has a genuine need. It's not that everybody comes up to you, you have to give them money. People are like, oh man, he asked, I've got to do it. No. But there's a need. John takes it a little further. When you see a person, one of your brothers and sisters, that's hungry, cold, has no shelter, and you say, be thou warmed and filled, and you could meet the need, but you say, listen, brother, I'll be praying for you. How does the love of God dwell in you when you could help them and you don't? But you say, I only have so much, I'm working on my savings account. God's the one that brings blessing. He's the one that blesses the work of our hands. Seventhly, the responsibility to love. Who, how much, what for? Verses 43 through 48. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do that? You want to be like the Lord? You want to be godly? Do what he did. He died for his enemies. In that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. And then he ends with the impossible standard. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What's Jesus doing? He's making the point that God gave the law intending that man can't keep that law in the flesh. He can't do it. Romans chapter 8 verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 3.23. Here's where he's bringing them. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one can keep these standards. No one has ever kept these standards perfectly except our own Savior. The next verse says, being justified as a gift by his grace, the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Father, we thank you for this message that Jesus taught. As we hear the truth of what you intended in your law, we all fall short. And Lord, if there are any here today, They've been trying to maintain that goodness and, and, and try to earn your favor. Lord, I pray today would the day, the day they give up and just submit and receive you and your sacrifice as the only remedy for their soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.